let's run into this word. I'm excited to preach. This is Love Week 2. Today, I want to speak to you in the continuation of our sermon series. We're talking about love, and you can apply this assessment to any part of your life. If you're struggling in a relationship, your marriage, you, are, you have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, whatever type of interpersonal relationship and also the relationship between God and us and us with the Father that you can apply this to. I was just sharing with somebody in the lobby that it's easy to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I said this last week, and be like, wow, let me assess my marriage through this scripture. But I invite you to think beyond just the eros and intimate love. Think about love in general. When you say that you love somebody, I love my friends. I love my coworkers. I am a Christian. To say you are, Christ, you are a Christian is to understand that God himself is all that is love. And so when we say that we are a Christian and we trust in Christ, that we believe in God Almighty, it's because we have understood what love is. And as we read through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 8, like I said last week, these are characteristics not just of love, but they're characteristics of Christ. So let's listen with those ears today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our church, Lord. I can't thank you enough that you would be the one to make something so beautiful, Lord, and that you would allow us the opportunity and the privilege to be in your house. Lord, today I ask you, you would bless this word, that you would allow me to teach your word in the essence of the intention of it, that I would not pollute it or pervert it with my opinions, but that the truth of your gospel be evident today, that we would be transformed from the inside out with the truth of your word. Father, I need your help. I need your help to preach this word. Be the one to speak to us and fill our cups today. And once more, let us see your face. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's run to the Bible. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 to 12. As you turn to your Bibles, and we also have it here on the screen, it's something that I've realized that as generations pass, we see Sunday school be less of a thing than when we used to grow up in church, right? We used to sit in Sunday school, and it wasn't as fancy as today. We didn't have screens and movie time, and we used this old raggedy book or maybe a children's Bible, but we knew the stories of the Bible. On Friday night, I preached about Jonah, and if you can think about Jonah, you think about a big old fish swallowing Jonah for his disobedience. But you realize that as you get older, these Bible stories from Sunday school, they start kind of getting cloudy. Like, I know I've heard this story before, but we've actually never taken much time to go back to these children's Bible stories and actually comb through what is happening. Today, I want to talk to you while making reference and context to the story of two brothers, actually the first two brothers ever. Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 to 12, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. For those of you who are married, you know what that means. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, verse 2, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel 
was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. For those of us who remember the story of Cain and Abel, perhaps it looks a little bit different when we're reading it now verse by verse on this story that maybe we've even seen references of in movies in Hollywood. In this text, we learn about two brothers First two brothers in history, the first two siblings on earth, the, the first two sons, excuse me. I share this text and well-known Bible story because of the context of what Paul speaks about to the Corinthians. And let me remind us of where we're preaching from in this sermon series. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 8. Paul is writing this letter, teaching this church in Corinth about love and what love is. Last week we talked about love is patient and love is kind. Those are the first two there. And then it goes, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And they took it off from me. Can we go back? I was totally reading from that. All right, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We're going to read that every single week of this sermon series because I really want you guys to have that nailed down in your hearts. Paul says, love does not envy or boast. It's not rude. It's not proud. And if you read this in the New Living Translation, it uses the word jealous, boastful, and proud. Cain and Abel were brothers, born of the same mother and father. They were blood siblings, and the minimum expectation of family, right, for you and your siblings, mother, father, brothers, sisters, multiple, big family, small family, the minimum expectation is that you would have love for one another, right? But of course, we recognize that even in family, even when you're blood with somebody, there are tensions that are hard to get through. And while we desire to feel love and closeness with family, it's a difficulty. Cain and Abel, again, were brothers born of the same mother and father. 
though the minimum expectation of this closeness is love, we see in the Old Testament that in this story, this real-life story, we see jealousy, we see envy, we see pride, we see arrogance. And rudeness is literally as old as time. The first murder in all of history happens in what we just read, where this brother kills his other brother because of what he was feeling on the inside that came to pass on the outside of him by killing his only brother. For those of us who have siblings, can you just maybe put yourself in this situation for a moment? Can we drop that volume down a little bit? I'm sorry. And in our family relationships where you might have a sibling that you're just like, you're always at odds, it feels. And as much as you desire to love them and forgive them and time and time again, it gets harder and harder as time passes. But we're called to love in this extravagant way. Let's start with jealousy. Jealousy. Paul's, Paul begins with jealousy, and among these descriptors of love in 1 Corinthians, he also tells us, remember, he says love is patient, love is kind, and immediately he begins to tell us what love is not. Love is not jealous. Love is not jealous or envious. Jealous is a word that we see many times in the Old Testament. And actually, it refers to God towards man. God is a jealous God. So let me explain something to you. Jealousy in Scripture doesn't always mean something bad. God is jealous for us. But this is not the context. Context matters here. The context that we're talking about here is envy, where envy is sin. Jealousy, if you're a parent especially, or if you're blessed like me and I have daughters, there's a good jealousy. There's a protecting jealousy. This is mine. I cover. I protect. That's a godly jealousy. But then there's envy. And what I realize, even reading through this and combing through Scripture and studying the intentions of these words, much of culture teaches us to be envious of one another because that produces commerce. When you sit and watch social media for too long, you find that you are insufficient according to what you desire for yourself because of what you see other people acquiring and getting and doing. And I'm like, man, the summer's almost over. I haven't been on a plane. My little one tells me the other day, like, Daddy, I want to go on a plane. That must be nice, right? I feel like I never said that when I was smaller because planes were luxuries. And she says, Daddy, I just love hotels. Must be nice. I just, you know, and daddy, and at, at the house, daddy, can we play airport? I'm like, no, because airports remind me of big bills that we have to pay. But even in the, my jealousy of my child who I love, I want to give them the things that I did not have. So God is a jealous God. But what some people struggle with is like, they're saying, well, God is love. Love is God. Love is not jealous, so how can God be jealous? And that's the importance of us understanding the context here, that this is not what Paul is speaking about. He is speaking about the rotten heart in envy, in covetousness, which is another word when you covet, which is a cardinal sin. 
God is jealous for us. Envy is an inability to celebrate another for the achievement, for their achievement, because we covet that for ourselves. This is what Lucifer experienced in heaven as an angel when he gazed upon God. God is getting all the glory. It's millions of angels crying out day after day, holy, 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 are you Lord God Almighty? And Lucifer says, wait, I feel like, because remember, he was the chief musician in heaven. And he was loved by God. But he decides that glory that God is getting, I should have that for myself. This is in heaven, friends. Where he says, everything that God is getting, I want for myself. That's envy. You see the difference where jealousy, a righteous and godly jealousy, is to embrace and protect and keep from To be a hedge around, but envy is only about you. So maybe this is hard to apply when you're talking about a husband and a wife, although it's very possible. I've sat with couples who feel envious of the other person because she makes more money or because she pays all the big bills or because I do this and I do that and he. That's still envy, though a marital bed might be shared. But Lucifer saw God in all his glory bathed in splendor, and it consumed him with envy, so much so that he wanted to rob this glory for himself. In the same manner, let's go back to the story that we read. Cain, he sees that his brother is getting applause, and it says regard for this donation, this offering that he has brought to God, and God receives it in joy. And he says, it says that he regards this gift, but in verse 4 and 5, it says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but verse 5 says, But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. For those of us who have been children, anybody have parents in this house? Or had parents? I notice that when I'm with my daughters and they bring me something, it's always competitive. Or if one of them is getting in trouble for doing something or not doing something, the other one is right, right that like this, right, Daddy, right like this, like right that this this is what you said, Daddy, right? So we're born, and what do my daughters know? They're six years old and two years old. We're born with this natural competitiveness, but if it's not roped in often it can turn into this rotten envy. And then you have your siblings and your family members that you just can't be around because the minute you sit with them at the Thanksgiving table, it's about talking about what they have and you don't. And it's hard to be around those people, right? So maybe we need to figure out how to get away from the spaces that might pull out of us that spirit That weight of envy. Be around people that are generous. Be around people that are loving. Be around people that are willing to give to others from the abundance that they have. Instead of just always being, next word, boastful about it. He says love is not boastful. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, right in transition there, it says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. 
And that envy, that rotting, the proof of that rotting is what? Boastfulness. To be boastful is to have an excessively high opinion of yourself. And let me challenge you for a little bit, because it might be you. You might be the one who's always around people. And like, you know what, listen, I got that new BMW, that 2023 even with you, I was listening to a sermon where a, a pastor was talking about boastfulness, and, and his, his, his tension was with people that are always telling him how much they work out. <laughs> and, and I can feel that, you know? <laughs> like, or like when they share their maps. On, no, I'm, I'm going to feel like I'm going to hurt somebody. I'm going to offend somebody. I don't want to do that. So to be boastful is to have a, an excessively high opinion of oneself. Excessively. So it's good to have a good self-esteem. You are a child of the living God. You are necessary in this world. God created you with a purpose. We need you. He wants work from you. He wants you to make disciples. You are loved. You're here for a reason. This, the key word here is excessively. Excessively. And this, listen, let me normalize this for a second because I was that guy in college where somebody could tell me I was ugly, but if I looked in the mirror, I was like, I don't see it. <laughs> like, like, God, like, I don't see it. But the Lord really needs to Take that, right? Because remember, from that envy, you start rotting from the inside out. And then in what feels or looks like high self-esteem, it's actually low self-esteem. Because what keeps you in high esteem is your boasting. you got to tell people what you've done. Check out what Jesus' brother James says in James chapter 4, verse 13 to 16. He says, come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What a verse to read when you really think you are the answer to the world's problems. Let me read that again. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Verse 15 says, instead, you ought to say, if, the, this is a lesson for you today, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. Verse 16 says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So there's your lesson today. Boasting is sin. But God is forgiving. And in those moments where you find yourself boasting, this happens to me also, friends. When you find yourself boasting and you know that the source of it is evil in your heart, rope it back. Pull it back and ask the Lord for forgiveness. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30 says, If I must boast, this is Paul. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Uh-oh. What a difference. And I tell you what, and maybe Pastor Justin agrees with this, that especially being preachers, there's a temptation 
When you see God being faithful in his return to your investment of saying, yes, Lord Jesus, you might be tempted for a moment to say, listen, this happens because of my preaching. This happens because I'm out here killing. I heard a preacher say the other day, and I wanted to write a comment so bad, but love is kind. And he said, a year ago, I was getting divorced, and everybody turned away from me. And it was my preaching in this house that grew this church. There's your problem. If I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to boast about how wretched I was and how good God has been. That is a boast. This is good boasting that may lead others to their own hope in Jesus. You want to boast about yourself? Boast about your weakness and how God pulled you from the dirt. Because then they'll see that hope. For those of you who ask, Isaac, how can I make disciples at work? How can I make disciples of the people around me? Nobody in my family knows Jesus. How can I make this real? Boast about your weakness. Because your family will see that things are not the same in you. Because in order to boast about your weakness, you can't have pride. Love is not proud. Pride and boasting walk hand in hand. Boasting is a show that one puts on for others because of the pride within their hearts. Boasting can avail someone to correction from others. Here's the difference. When you boast out loud, one of us, men of God, women of God can see you and say, hey, listen, remember, like, patient and kind. Hey, like, you need to bring it down a notch. You're thinking too highly of yourself. And remember, it's sin. Let me help you walk through this because of boasting. But pride is a silent killer. People can't see your pride. Cain was filled with pride. Remember, he considered that his offering was as good, if not better, than his brother Abel's. The silent pride led him not just to anger in the Lord and to take it out in anger with his brother. It led him to death. Not just to kill his brother, but to his own death. Because look at what Scripture says in those last verses. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. I don't know if you know this, but there was no Walmart. And there was no supermarket. And I need you to understand the context here. There were, at this point, four people on earth. And if the ground is not yielding, what is he going to eat? But God didn't kill him. He said, you shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. He didn't die, but he didn't have the provisions he had before. The pride was killing him from inside where he looked at himself like, hey, I deserve. That's a deadly word also. That feeling of deserving. And what did I say before when I burst in your bubble? Do you deserve God as you go into the waters and baptism? No, you don't. None of us do. It's God's grace that allows us that gift. But that feeling or misunderstanding of the word deserve is what is stemmed from pride. Pride kills you from the inside out. Pride leaves no space for love. Because you are what is and who is more important. And so if in your mind you are that important, how 
can you love someone else? There's no space in your heart or in your mind to regard somebody else. I'm too busy making sure that I'm taking care of me. I haven't exhorted you today, so here's the scoop. We need you guys to serve in the house. We have some people here whose hearts have been transformed by the gospel. And just like it should be, the follow-up to your heart being transformed is, how can I help? I believe in what God is doing here. How can I help? But some of you, week after week, you come into this house and you will not lift a finger for God's house. I know that hurts, but I need you to hear that because this is ours. This is not mine. This is not Pastor Justin's or the elders. This is all of our homes. Everything here. I walk into the children's classroom the other day. And I check on the windowsills, and they're disgusting. And I realize, if I don't say anything, do we not clean God's house? When somebody needs your help, friends, do you make yourself available? This whole week, I've been hearing about people that are heartbroken where they go to church. Because the minute they needed something or prayer, or even if it was money, which a lot of us are tight with our money. Because we deserve to have more of it. So God forbid, God forbid, we've been asking for three weeks now for us to donate to help Andrea finish up his seminary studies so that they can continue and to help them plant a church in Florence, Italy. And here is the result of that. We have about $200 raised in this third week. There's an arrogance there, friends. Everything you have he has given you. So when he asks for some of it back, here, Lord, this is what you deserve. That's how you should look at when you give. God, this is what you deserve. You won't often hear me stand up here speaking about money. But I need you to understand that it's not about money. It's now about your pride. Everything you are, everything you do, your business, your job, the breath in your lungs belongs to God. So when he asks you to get up and to serve him, it is the very least that you can do because he is the creator of everything. And he can remove that from you in a second. When he invites you to participate in his work, even if it's financially, and I say that once again because I know that that's where we're like, I got bills to pay. Oh, you think God doesn't know we have bills to pay? I promise you that he knows. But remember, Jaira, you are enough. He is everything that you need. And if he's asking you for something that feels that it's out of your reach, it's because he has sufficiency for you. Don't sin in your pride to think that you are above being obedient to what God is asking you. Because God has asked one life to support Mosaico Church. And I'm not going to allow us as a church to keep us from being obedient. So Andrea will finish his studies. The invitation is for you to come in and say, hey, I want to help in God's work. 
And then, well, let me read this first with pride. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We experience pride when we are unable to recognize that everything we do and everything we have is only because of the grace of God. Why? Because when we are pride, when we're proud, we say that I am this way in this excessively good way because of the things that I have accomplished and not giving God his glory. When we understand this, we need to boast not in self. Instead, we boast in God. Instead of jealousy, we need more joy for others and for what we have. Instead of boasting in yourself, boast in others and boast in God with gratitude. Instead of pride, wear your humility. Let everything you do be done with love and humility. We spoke months ago about the importance of the poorness in spirit. And poorness is not a financial value. It's for you to know who you are before an almighty God. When you know who you are and who you've been before a good, good God, you don't have the time to waste to sit in pride. I know what God has done for me, and I need you to have a big old scoop of this. And then we see love is not rude. Some of us are rude. I admitted this to somebody this weekend, and I'm like, listen, I try so hard to hold tight, and I forgot to ask you guys this question. Have you been kind this week? Have you been extravagantly kind this week? Because I'm sure God has given you opportunities to show your kindness, and maybe some of us drop the ball. Remember, kindness is extravagant. It's not just being nice. It's not just saying, you know what? You upset me to the point where I long to give you one right in your face, and I'm not going to, and so I'm being kind. That's not kind. That's being, that's probably, that's using your head. That's being wise. Kindness is exactly what scripture taught us last week, where somebody is suing you for everything, and instead you also give them your cloaks. And if somebody comes and smacks you in one cheek, you give them the other. That's kindness, extravagant kindness. And then the same thing here, love is not rude. Love is kind, and it's not rude. Stop being rude. In the original Greek, the phrase or rude, which is what we read, is translated roughly into does not act inappropriately. True love does not seek to, listen to this, please. True love does not seek to cause problems with another and does not look to belittle another. Let me normalize myself to you once more. You ever sit in the car and somebody is just really making you upset? And you're just like, I just need to figure out how I'm just going to ruin this person's day. And some of us, we know that with just one word or one phrase or just by bringing something up from your past, you can ruin the other person's day. And it's almost like, and we're going to learn about this later, right? Love holds no record of wrongdoing. That, I think I'm preaching that week. I mean, that, that's the one that will hit you right in your stomach because a lot of us take what... Others have done wrong. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. 
And because we don't understand that love is not rude is when we will say, we'll wait for that moment. But I remember what you did three months ago. Or the other one, I just think it's funny how, right? Like, I just think it's funny how. And listen, especially if you're in a relationship, because let me, let me, let me, let me make it real for you and practical. Husband, wife, wives, the Lord be with you. Like, it's easy, or it's tempting and easy to remember the things that your partner has done wrong, husband and wife. And you're tempted when they wrong you again because that's the difficulty of marriage. Marriage is beautiful, and it's also one of the most difficult things I've ever done. It's so constant, and when you feel that you figured out your wife or your husband, they change again. Like, you never arrive in the same way It's with the Bible, where some of us feel that we have, like in the church of Corinth, we have this, um, I'm better than, right? That was Corinth. I'm better than because I have the scripture. And if you look at my Bible, look how many, look at the highlighting. Like, but I will never arrive at actually getting everything out of scripture. And when we understand that, when we understand that, no matter how many times I read this verse, I'll get a thousand meanings out of it. Because God is speaking in his living word. And when we recognize that, we humbly come before him. Lord, fill my cup. Because as much as I know this book, there's some days that I still feel so broken. And I can still go. I don't know how you guys deal with brokenness. Mondays are the worst for pastors. Especially after you preach. It feels like the world comes crashing on you. And I can talk to my wife, but she would grow tired of that. I could talk to my friends. I could talk to the elders, which I do when I'm feeling beat up. But sometimes they respond, and sometimes they don't. Pray for the elders. I believe heavily in accountability. I am not altogether. And I need men, specifically in my life, men around me that will lift me up. But the first thing that I do before I even go to other men to help lift me up, I need to go to his word. Love is not rude. And I'll end with this. A husband who loves his wife will not treat her rudely, but with courtesy and respect. Always. I don't care what she's done to you, husband. Don't you ever raise your hand at your wife. Never. Never. We read last week, they smack you on the cheek, you give them the other one, but you never raise your hand at your wife. A Christian who loves his neighbor will remember his manners and act in a decorous and fitting way. I have neighbors that drive me insane. I have a neighbor that cursed me out within months of me moving in. And I had to pull back, think about it. And respond to him in love. Today, we're best friends. A life of love is shown in our words and actions and will impact others to bring glory to the Lord. Love, real and true love, brings glory to God. Let's pray. 